to the Cincy Reformed Podcast. My name is Zach. I'm here with my uh, co-pastor, Brandon. We're pastors of Westside Reformed Church, and we appreciate you spending some time with us uh, this week. We are talking this week about the place of Mary and the saints within Roman Catholicism. And what we're doing right now is a bit of a series to differentiate the Reformed Catholic tradition over against the Roman Catholic tradition. And explaining what, why we disagree with certain things that Rome has um, declared and proclaimed. And within that, hoping to better understand our own beliefs. Whether we can better understand what we believe and why we believe it. I think that when we enter into this topic today here about of Mary and the saints, and you know, to a certain degree we can connect angels with this also, it's a very practical one and one where... I have uh, recalled within my uh, ministry speaking with Roman Catholics, and this seems to be the place where uh, the, the, the tension is most felt by them. And so I think this is a very important one to address. And what I mean by that is that oftentimes Roman Catholics will look at things like church authority and the Pope and look at things like justification, and they're going to be more open to reconsidering some of those things but this one really gets at the heartstrings i think this one really comes down to the lived day-to-day piety and that sense of the saints being with me and near me and that sense of mary being with me and near me and my confidants that's a very difficult thing i think for a roman catholic to reconsider and so as we enter into this one i think practically speaking it's probably the the place where the rubber really meets the road to differentiate uh, these two different systems of uh, religion from one another. And so, Brandon, how about you begin with um, setting forward for us what the Roman perspective is on the saints and what what that's um, what what they might confess about that, and um, what, maybe some things we might think about that too. So the way in which the Roman Roman Catholics speak about saints is not how the Bible speaks about saints. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible will speak about Christians being saints. You know, to to the saints at this church or that church, and so it's just talking about believers. You know, anybody who's in Christ is a saint. Uh, the way that Roman Catholics use the word saint is somebody who, as just just over the top in terms of in terms of. Uh, good works and uh, godliness and, and and godly perfection even and, and even in the in the Roman Catholic idea saints are those who might even bypass purgatory like they don't even need purgatory they go straight to heaven and um, there's different saints that have uh, different um, areas of focus so for example if you're in the army you might have Saint Michael on, on your necklace because you know he's the patron saint of, of soldiers and if you're uh, um, if you're in different um, areas or different ailments that you might have you might appeal to a saint that's over that ailment or over that region Martin Luther when he was um, uh, in that lightning storm and he thought that he was going to be struck dead he prayed to Saint Anne because Saint Anne is the patron saint of coal miners and his father was a coal miner so perhaps 
in his family growing up. Maybe they had a picture or a, a, an icon of some sort, a relic of, of St. Anne. And perhaps that was part of his daily prayers in the house was to St. Anne because his father was a coal miner. And so as he's on the road and he thinks he's going to die, he appeals to, to St. Anne uh, to, to save him. So different saints can have different areas of focus that you would appeal to in Roman Catholicism. Here's a couple statements about, about the saints. The first one is from an encyclical of John the 15th. We so venerate and honor the relics of the martyrs and confessors in order that we may venerate him whose martyrs and confessors they are. We honor the servants so that honor may redound to the Lord who said, whoever receives you receives me. And thus we, who have not, have not confidence in our own justice, may always, by their prayers and their merits, receive support before the most merciful God. Uh, a couple things from, from that to, to note is, you know, as you honor the saints, you're um, honoring the, the Lord, basically. And that confidence, he says, is not in our own justice, but it's in the merits of of the saints and the prayers of the saints and we appeal to the merits of the saints in order that we might receive support before a most merciful God. And maybe Brandon could you clarify a little bit there when they say venerate and honor the saints what do they mean by that just because we would say oh you know I, I honor Saint Augustine for example or I appreciate the writings of Thomas Aquinas or something along those lines that's not exactly what they mean, though, is it? No, it's not what they mean, but they also wouldn't say it's necessarily worship. Right. So they're going to make mm -hmm. that category where veneration is not maybe a worship level, but it's also not like you know quoting our favorite theologian right. either. Um, saints have more of an esteem, more of an authority, more of a purview, where they're going to, to pray to them, they're going to, to seek to honor them, in even just in, in the realm of daily piety, in terms of maybe having um, icons, a statue, a necklace that they can appeal to, that they can ask that that saint will go to to God on their behalf and in, and almost be um, an intercessor of sorts between between God and, and them. Anything else to add on? No, I think that's helpful. I just wanted to make sure that our yeah. listeners is clear that when we're talking about veneration here, we're not talking about hey, I really like reading John Calvin or something like right, that. Right, right. But this is quite a bit more than that. So Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was the, encycl the encyclical of John the 15th. Uh, here's one from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The witnesses who have preceded us into the kingdom, especially those whom the church recognizes as saints, share in the living tradition of prayer by the example of their lives, the transmission of their writings, and their prayer today. They contemplate God, praise Him, and constantly care for those whom they have left on earth. When they entered into the joy of their Master, they were put in charge of many things. Their intercession is their most exalted service to God. We can and should ask them to intercede for us and for the whole world. So instead of seeing... Uh, Jesus Christ as being the sole intercessor between God and man, 
now we're kind of introduced to just a myriad of myriads, a multitude of intercessors that are just constantly, you know, you're appealing to, to um, so many uh, people who have died. And what's interesting, too, is um, they, uh, Roman Catholics almost deify the saints in a way because, I mean, is, is St. Augustine and is St. Um, um, Boniface? And, I mean, are these saints really hearing thousands of thought prayers by people all around the world? Um, you would have to be all-knowing and all-present. You'd have to be God to hear prayers. And, but uh, in the Roman Catholic view, they're, they're hearing all of these mm-hmm. prayers. They're interceding. We have a, we have multitude of, of intercessors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah, that's kind of what, what they're doing with the saints here. Um, Zach, let's maybe want to bring it to Mary, perhaps? Yeah, right before I do that, just to, I want to clarify one thing. When Brendan's using the word here, intercessor, he's using it to speak about mediation, right? Because we would certainly say within the book of Revelation that the saints in heaven are praying and they're singing and they're saying, how soon will you avenge the blood of our brothers and sisters on earth and Mm -hmm. things like that. But what we're objecting again to is the idea they can hear us and they become a go-between for us. And so, you know, I, I thought it was interesting what you just brought up. Maybe just a quick thought experiment. Let's pretend that I think there's probably about a, maybe somewhere close to a billion Roman Catholics in the, in the world, maybe something like that. I'm not quite sure, but let's just say, let's say there's a billion. Let's say that all the billion Roman Catholics were then encouraged to pray at the exact same time to St. Boniface. Um, is the claim then that he hears all of those and then goes to mediate for them with God? That, that's an incredible claim. And that really does begin to get to that point of saying that you're really confusing the creator and the creature at that point very clearly to be giving um, uh, divine powers to these uh, so-called saints. So I just want to clarify a couple of those things that, yes, we do believe that that our brothers and sisters who have gone before us are in heaven worshiping, crying out before the throne. We just saying they can't hear us, and it's their job to cry out and worship before the throne, right. but they just can't hear us. So just to clarify that, anything else on that? Uh, well, I was just going to say too, it um, it, it also kind of gives away the office of Christ, yes. his mediatory office, to some some someone else. That's right. right. So that's a, there's the one that one mediator between God and man, right? Yeah. The, the man Christ Jesus, and uh, somehow that one mediator becomes many hundreds, if not thousands. Yeah. So. But uh, let's move on to, to Mary here. I think that when we think about Mary, we're beginning to think about like a saint par excellence, the, the one who's above all the saints, above that you know, sort of pantheon of, of saints. And let me just read a bit here from the Roman Catholic Catechism. It says this, Her role in relation to the church and to all humanity goes still further. In a wholly singular way, she cooperated by her obedience, faith, hope, and burning charity in the Savior's work of restoring supernatural life to souls. So there's a salvific, the salvation work that she's doing by her cooperation to help the Savior. Uh, For this reason, she is a mother to us in the order of grace. This motherhood of Mary is in the order of grace, uh, in the order of grace, continues uninterruptedly from the consent which she loyally gave at the Annunciation and which she sustained without wavering beneath the cross until the eternal fulfillment 
of all the elect. Taken up to heaven, she did not lay aside this saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. A bit more here in a second, but just note that she is saving us. She's participating in that saving work. It's her office. Yes, exactly. And so therefore, the Blessed Virgin is invoked in the church under the titles of Advocate, Helper, Benefactress, and Mediatrix. These are titles that the Gospels that Christ gives, not to Mary, but to the Holy Spirit. Mm. And these are then being applied to Jesus' mother, Mary. And that he, she then begins to almost replace the Holy Spirit here to begin to perform the work that the, Christ, by sending the Spirit, that he ought to be accomplishing, rather that's been, being given to, to Mary. Again, from the Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church, the Church rightly honors the Blessed Virgin with special devotion. From the most ancient times, the Blessed Virgin has been honored with the title of Mother of God, to those to whose protection the faithful fly in all their dangers and needs. This very special devotion differs essentially from the adoration which is given to the Incarnate Word and equally to the Father and the Holy Spirit and greatly fosters this adoration. So pause there for a second. So what we're seeing here is they are making a distinction between her and the Godhead, but in much practice there's not much of a distinction. Just as you pray to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you'd be praying to Mary. And so I think that's, that's notable there. Just as you call the triune God your Savior, you can look then to Mary as your Savior. There's also a, a bit of a, I might call it a sleight of hand that occurs, because it uses the language for Mary here of Mother of God, and it uses it in a way that was not being used in the early church. In the early church, Mary was called Mother of God or Theotokos, and we, we confess and agree she is Mother of God, but that title was not being used as one that would then exalt her, per se, to this place of adoration and veneration. Rather, the whole point of calling her Mother of God was to then affirm her son, Jesus, as God, that he was the one born of her, and to affirm that when Thomas came before Jesus and said, My Lord and my God, that he was not using the Lord's name in vain at that point, but rather he was rightly looking to the person of God the Son and then worshiping him. The one born of Mary is indeed God the Son. And by that hypostatic union, we call it that personal union between the two natures. And so that mother of God was intended to exalt the Son exalt Jesus, not to exalt Mary to a place where she would receive then prayer. So um, the last bit here is to just speak about how the things that the liturgical feast devoted, uh, dedicated to the mother of God and to uh, Marian prayer, such as the rosary, they can be called then in the catechism and the epitome of the whole gospel. Uh, this is found then within devotion to the Blessed Virgin uh, Mary. 
Anything else you want to say about that brand before you maybe move on and start? Uh, we can start talking about the reformed view of things. Just kind of what you said here. Uh, you know, Theodicos was meant to venerate or to, to exalt Christ and and to uh, sh- show that he is he he is indeed God, um, not to to make Mary uh, something. But it's it's just so convoluted, as you mentioned. You know, they're trying to make distinctions here between the Godhead, but yet they're giving her the names of the Godhead. They're giving her the name Advocate Helper. That those are titles of the Holy Spirit, and so they're taking titles of the Holy Spirit, applying them to Mary, um, and it's going to be a convoluted um, structure at that point. And then, how in the world is the Mary in prayer an epitome of the whole gospel? I don't like it. Just, uh, what is the gospel then mm-hmm. in that in that structure of things? If if mm-hmm. it's the epitome of the whole gospel, I don't I don't understand it. Uh, but as we come to the Reformed view of things, I think we should say up front that in no way do we want to devalue Mary. You know, it, it, there, there are some who might want to go to this opposite extreme or something where they almost devalue. I don't want to devalue Mary at all. I want to exalt Mary to the place that she ought to be exalted as, you know, she bore Christ and, um, and people will call her blessed and so on and so forth. And so we want to, we want to maintain that. And, um, you know, as I was preaching through the Gospel of, of Luke uh, years back, one of the things I notice about her, her song that she sings uh, in the early chapters is it's so saturated with the Old Testament Bible. Like you could almost put an Old Testament reference to every line that she is singing, and she is so saturated in the scriptures. And it's I mean it's it's uh, a great thing. I mean she and in many ways should be respected and honored for um, her role and for who she is and who, who she was uh, as as the mother of Christ and also as a follower of Christ, as someone who Christ has, has saved. Um, and as fellow sinner saved by grace. <laughs> yep, fellow sinner saved by grace. Um, so the Heidelberg Catechism, question 30, says this, Do those who look for their salvation and security in saints in themselves or elsewhere, really believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Although they boast of being His, by their actions, they deny the only Savior, Jesus. Either Jesus is not a perfect Savior, or those who in true faith accept this Savior have in Him all they need for their salvation. And so this gets at the heart of um, the difference between the Reformed Church and the Roman Catholic Church. In the Reformed Church, Christ is all in all. Christ is full salvation. Christ is full redemption. Christ is full mediator. We look to him and to him alone because he's the fullness of the full. And when we look at the Roman Catholic structure, that Jesus is not a perfect Savior, somebody who completely did something, but there's something that needs to be um, uh, kind of fill up what was lacking, uh, as it were. One of the things that um, that began happening, too, within uh, Roman Catholicism that I think would be helpful to mention, uh, especially in the me- medieval view, you know, there was this famous painting of, or this uh, wood cutout of Christ sitting on a rainbow, he had a flower in one ear, a sword in the other ear, and you almost didn't know if you were going to get his grace or his sword, his wrath. And Jesus became somebody 
who was not your you know your best friend. Whereas today we almost people have shirts like you know Jesus is my homeboy, and we almost uh, pacify Christ in our in our own day. Whereas in the medieval times, it was the almost the opposite was happening, where he he became somebody that that scared you. You didn't want to go to Christ. You, you'd rather go to his mom. You'd rather go to Mary and say, Mary, can you go to Christ and tell, and tell him uh, or pray for me to Christ because I don't want to go to him directly because he's so frightening. Uh, that kind of attitude began cropping up in the uh, medieval time. And I think that um, uh, really increased the, uh, the role in which Mary had in the Catholic piety. Uh, not only back then, but even even today uh, as well. And I was talking with one uh, Roman Catholic lady, and she said, I like to pray to Mary because Mary is a woman, and Mary understands me. Um, why would I go to Christ, who's a man, when I can go to Mary, who's a woman? But I think that misses who Christ is. Christ is God. Christ made womanhood. Christ made what it means to be a woman. Christ knows you more than you know yourself because he made womanhood to begin with. He spoke it into being. And so, um, I, I don't know about you, but I'd want to go to the one who made me, not one who, who can merely relate to me um, as, a, as a fellow creature, um, but going to, going to Christ. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think that one of my favorite parts within the Belgian Confession speaks about it speaks about Christ as mediator and that there's no one in heaven or on earth who loves us more than Jesus Christ. Mm. He, sh he should not be one who scares us because he is the one who came to bear our humanity, to have our sins imputed to him, to carry those sins, to bear our punishment. And by that, that work of love, he has shown us a love that no one else can possibly show us. And so why would we want to go to anyone else? Why would you want to go to someone who's not omniscient, who cannot hear all of your prayers? Why would you want to go to someone who's not omnipresent, who cannot be there with you? Why would you want to go anywhere apart from the one who loves you more than anyone in heaven on earth? You just wouldn't want to. And so I think that uh, to your point of his knowledge and his love, these are things that cannot be matched by any so-called saint or Mary. Right. And really, to try to elevate Mary in that in, in such a way is almost to dishonor Mary. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we, we even get, get glimpses of this in the Bible. For example, in uh, the book of Revelation, twice, John sees an angel in heaven, tries to bow down to this angel, and the mm -hmm. angel's like, what are you doing? Like, stop it. I worship God. I'm, I'm with you. We're, we're on the same page here, worshiping uh, Christ, worshiping God. Why are you bowing to me? Don't do that. It was, it was dishonoring to that angel, and he had to rebuke uh, uh, John and say, stand up, and let's worship God together side by side here. And I think the same way Mary would be saying that. Like, why are you praying? She can't even hear the prayers. I mean, all, all these thousands of hours of praying to her that she's not hearing any of them. And I think she would say the same thing. What are you doing? Stand up. Let's worship God together. You're, we're, we're together here. And as the Lord says in Holy Scripture, my glory I'll give to no other. Right. And so to be think, begin to think about giving some sort of prestige or glory or honor to someone as a mediator, as a helper in these kind of ways... 
you begin to give to someone else apart from God what he is alone is rightly due. And I agree with you completely that she would not want that. Right. <laughs> she wants to put all the spotlight upon Jesus, not upon herself. Right. Go to him, she would say. Right. And you even kind of get a glimpse of this even in the Gospels. You know, Jesus is, is talking and there was a woman in the crowd. This happens in Luke chapter 11. A woman in the crowd raised her voice, said to Jesus, Bless is the womb that bore you and the breast and at which you nursed. So she's blessing Mary here. And what's interesting is how Jesus responds. He says, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So it's interesting. I mean, he, 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 could, have, he could have taken an opportunity there to, yeah. to really point everybody True. to Mary and say, Yes, True. you better be praying to her. You better be uh, venerating her. You should... Um, ask her to intercede between you. He, he could have elaborated more on, on this exaltation of Mary, but instead he said, well, blessed rather are those who actually hear the word of God and then keep it. He could have said that's the epitome of the whole gospel, as the Roman Catholic Catechism said. Right. He didn't, did yeah. he? He could have <laughs> no. said that's the whole gospel. Right. But he, right. Yeah. he said, no, something else is more important than, than that. Right. The, the word of God, that's right. Yeah. So what are some ways then that we should... Go about honoring Mary, the saints, angels. How should we do that without falling into the uh, trap of uh, Roman Catholicism, of sharing God's glory with others, of treating the, those creatures as the creator? What are some uh, ways that we can then um, do that as we close up here? Yeah, I mean, um, re remembering, mm -hmm. I think, yeah. um, the saints and, and what they have done. Like, I, I recently bought a book on uh, St. Patrick mm -hmm. and kind of walks through his life mm -hmm. and some of his uh, theology. And so it's an interesting way. I can, I can appreciate, um, you know, much of what he did. I can, I love St. Augustine. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I like, I like reading St. Augustine. He has many things that are great to say. And, and I want to put those into practice in my, in my own life. But I'm not going to ask St. Augustine or St. Patrick mm -hmm. to somehow be a mediator for me between, between Christ and myself. Right. I'm going to go directly to Christ in prayer or to, to, to the Father in prayer in the name of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so, yeah, in the same way with Mary and then mm -hmm. the saints and appreciating the angels, knowing that they're ministering spirits, mm -hmm. and, uh, but we're all worshiping the same triune God on, and we're going to be in glory worshiping right alongside of each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that as we think about gathering for holy worship, Hebrews 12 helps us here greatly mm -hmm. as it speaks about our position in worship as being those who are assembled on the heavenly mountain called Zion. Yeah. And that we're surrounded by the festal angels, we're surrounded by the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Mm -hmm. All that hall of faith of Hebrews chapter 11, they're all there yeah. and we're with them. But even in that context, Hebrews doesn't tell us, hey, talk to them or hear from them. He said, they said, no, like hear from God. God's speaking to you, but you're surrounded with them. So be aware that within worship, that that heavenly context is one in which you are participating. And I've loved recently, we've been singing the, um, the uh, Sanctus, the Holy, Holy, Holy within our uh, Lord's Supper service. And that's, there's, there's an angelology going on there. We're joining in with angels and archangels and that this is a worship that we participate in alongside of them, not to them, but alongside of them. And uh, we direct all attention to our, our triune God. So I think that kind of helps with some context and to appreciate our position within the lowercase c Catholic Church, that we are part of the church uh, universal from Adam until uh, Christ returns. I think that's a very encouraging thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah.
Well, we uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us for this week's episode of the Cincy Reform Podcast. We hope it's been helpful for you. Uh, please tune in next week as we think about the Mass or the Eucharist and its place within Roman Catholicism and how we view things differently within the uh, Reformed world. Uh, we are the uh, Cincy Reform Podcast. Check out our other episodes at cincyreformed.org. And we are sponsored by Westside Reformed Church. Uh, check us out. We are a Reformed Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, westsidereformed.org. Thanks for so much for joining us. We appreciate your time.